You're listening to the Still Called podcast. For more information, go to stillcalled.me. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Still Called podcast. This would be technically, I think, episode number 22. Um, at least number 22 of since I changed the name, um, I was thinking about that the other day, that this used to be five minutes alone. And those episodes are good too, and you can still access them. If you go to my Spotify page, you can go way back in the playlist and listen to those. They're actually pretty good. I was listening to some the other day, thinking about possibly deleting them, but then I thought, you know what? These are okay. I'll leave them here. Um, so this week... I just wanted to talk about grace. Grace. Man. Probably the most scandalous terminology in the Christian faith. Uh, The one thing that everyone's afraid of. (laughs) Uh, You get too much of it, and it's greasy, right? if If you don't give enough of it, then it's work salvation, but it's the thing we need. You know, grace is important because, like, you want it. Like, you want it from other people. You you would rather have favor and, and kindness and, um, you know, pleasure from people towards you. Like, you desire grace. But somehow, as Christians, we get in our heads that we want, somehow we work for, or we keep our salvation by works. And again, like, if if works weren't important, there wouldn't be a book in the Bible called Job. I'm just kidding. There wouldn't be a book in the Bible called Acts. Um I've been waiting to give that joke for a while, but, um, so it's not like grace cancels out doing works. And I think that's something that many people are afraid of. They're afraid that like, if you emphasize grace, then people will stop doing righteous things. If you emphasize grace, people will, um, you know, get lazy in the faith. But it's not, um, it, it's not that simple. Like that's uh, that's way too facile. Um, it doesn't actually cover the true meaning and power and substance and reality that grace is. It, okay. Like, I I understand obedience. I, I really do. But obedience doesn't produce grace. Right from the place of grace, you find yourself being obedient, and obedience doesn't mean perfection. Obedience is a matter of willingness and perspective and a position of your heart, more than it is about a checklist of do's and don'ts. Like we're obedient because it's all about grace. Like, we're not obedient because we need to access and maintain 
grace. Like you, we already have as Christians all the grace we will ever have or need because of what Jesus did. Like we, we already have it all. So you're not going to get more grace. You're not going to somehow conjure up a greater level of grace. You're not going to make the grace you currently have like stronger or more fortified by your works, you know. And of course, yes, everyone wants to think to what James says by, you know, show me your faith by your works. I get that. I get it. But in that context, he's not talking about justification before God. I think he's talking about the way you would sort of evidence that you are in grace by faith to the world around you, that they would see these works flowing forth from you, from a place of grace. You know, but Ephesians uh, 2, 8 and 9 really gives us the foundation of this whole concept biblically. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. If anybody else comes along and, and brags about the works they're doing, it's cringy. Right, I mean, if you've ever heard anybody sort of brag about all the all the stuff they're doing, and I've been that person. Gosh, I've been the epitome of that. I mean, I've gone around and boasted in my works and all that I was doing and have done and will do, and and it's not to say that like I'm done doing works. It's not to say that. Um, being living righteously and holy isn't important or part of my everyday life, but I don't need to go brag to anybody how long it's been since I did drugs or looked at pornography or said a curse word or swear word, whatever I think makes me holy. Like, I can't boast, but I... And but here's the funny thing, that if you do boast in that... Like, religious Christianity will celebrate you. They will applaud you. They will honor you. They'll give you medals. They will give you gifts. <laughs> they will celebrate you. They'll like you. They'll say, look how holy you are. Look, you've, you're, you're good. You're a good person. You're a good Christian, a good, strong Christian. But if I come along and I boast in, my, in the grace that I have, People will think that I'm watered down. People will think that I'm, I'm compromised, that I'm backslidden. And it's, it's so contrary to what this, the scripture actually is telling us. And a lot of great preachers that I love and I like and I follow them. And I just think they get it wrong on this a lot of times because they're putting so much emphasis and I get it though as a preacher as a pastor and I've done this myself probably worse than anyone that you sort of pound the pulpit of works and like evidence and 
you know, like, where's your commitment? Where's your heart? Where's, you know, like, show the world you really, who you say you are as a Christian by what you do. Like, do the stuff. Where's the stuff? Where's the commitment? Where's the heart? Yeah, I've been there. I've been that preacher, you know? Um, And all I can say is that in that, it revealed a lot of times where people weren't in grace. And that is a strange thing to to even think of, that sometimes when you pound the pulpit about where's your heart, what are you doing, what kind of evidence, what sort of external stuff is going on in your life to, to give testimony of what God has done, it reveals sometimes that people aren't even in grace because they're not born again at all. And that as long as they can maintain and keep up the good works, they can sort of fool the rest of Christendom that they are somehow in grace. You know, so I don't regret pounding the pulpit, um, pushing that people should have evidence, not that they should boast in it, but that it should be there. So I don't regret all of those years of that. Um, But I will also tell you, I had a very small, limited revelation of grace for myself, and I think that motivated a lot of what I preached. And then one day, somehow, (laughs) but for the grace of God, literally, I realized that it is all grace. That literally, there is nothing I can add to grace for my salvation, other than faith, which isn't a work. I mean, it's it's grace. That it's faith plus nothing equals grace. I mean, it's it's just faith. It's grace plus nothing equals salvation. And that is a scandal. That is something that people leave churches over. They don't want to hear that you are covered completely, 100%, by the grace of God when you're in Christ. That if you've been born again, you have a new nature. You didn't come to believe based on your works of the law, right? That's not what saved you. You came to believe that your efforts, your your ability to work for salvation is frivolous and futile and totally ineffective. You can't. Like there you you can't be good enough to go to heaven. Everyone is too bad of a person to make it to heaven. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And again, I really think that that's the message for the gospel, like you, you kind of have to tell people that, like you have to make it clear that like you missed the mark, you've broken God's commands, you have done nothing but sin, like apart from God, you are nothing but a total, complete, wretched, sinful, fallen creature who needs a savior to save them. But once you've been saved, right? What is it then that your salvation is based upon? Was it how good you were? No, it was how good God was. 
Is it your righteousness? No, it's the righteousness of Christ. If you have any righteousness at all, it was imputed to you, to use a fancy theological term. It was imputed to you. It was like a, it was like a bank draft. It was like a, a wire transfer. Like you just, God had your, your information, and then boom, that money showed up in your account. It wasn't yours. You didn't earn it. You, you, you all you can do is say, yeah, here's the, look at my account. All of that, that was on zero before. Actually, it wasn't even on zero. Like, let's make that clear. You had an overdrawn bank account. Okay. You were completely depraved. And then Christ's righteousness was imputed to you. And that brought, not only brought your account to zero, it brought your account to off the charts, wealthy, multi trillionaire i mean whatever concept you want to to consider to understand the illustration but you god christ's righteousness given to us brings us into the positive changing our status as right to righteous not because of anything we do and here's the real scandal like you don't lose that when you sin that's what people don't want to hear People want to, they don't want to think like, oh, okay, so like, like I got born again and then I screwed up and you know, what's the worst sin we could think of? You cheated on your wife. I don't know. You killed somebody. I don't know. You know, do you lose your righteousness? Well, yeah, people want to say you do because you did something unrighteous. But here's the scandal. The grace of God, you don't lose it, right? We, we have a way of, of putting a degree of severity to the, to the sin that you might commit as a Christian. Now, of course, people will say, well, if you were really a Christian, you wouldn't do that. If you're really a Christian, you wouldn't cheat on your wife. If you're really a Christian, you wouldn't kill somebody, you know? And again, I'm not here to judge the the condition of one's heart. That's that's God's place to do, you know. I think there's some validity to the argument. Um, but what if the the condition of someone's heart is that when they sinned, they immediately turned back to God and said, "I sinned," even though it's like really bad and terrible in the eyes of the world. I sinned, God, and you. I put my heart. And in your hands and my future and my destiny in your hands. And I just pray, God, that you would have your way. You know, the religious church would say, well, no, there's no place of mercy for that person. But if they truly were like born again, if they truly were converted, here's the scandal. They didn't lose their salvation. Even when they did the thing that was like worse than when you lied or was worse than when you cheated on your your taxes or something when you 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 know accidentally took the lord's name in vain or whatever you whatever sin seems so small and frivolous to us right we we think well it's not like i killed somebody but here's the thing like we're totally depraved totally if if we had any righteousness at all any not like a drip a drop of righteousness at all it came from Christ. It was imputed to us. It was given to us by grace. We're saved by our faith and believing that what Jesus did on the cross 
is sufficient. It's enough. And that no amount of keeping the law will earn us that grace or help us keep that grace. And this is just, again, I get like, even hearing myself say it, I'm like, gosh, this is scandalous. Like, this is totally scandalous. (laughs) But grace should be like, like you should, like when you think about the grace of God that he has toward his enemies, towards the ones that have hated him, that have lived for themselves and blasphemed his name and, and done everything that they could to stand against God, that when we think that somehow he found mercy and didn't give to us what we deserved and instead gave us something we didn't deserve, which was his grace and his love, and then in, he imputed to us the righteousness of his righteous son to his bad sons, that's a scandal. But we can't earn it. We can't lose it. We can't, you know, we can't maintain it. And when you think about the grace of God, it should be that radical to you. If it isn't, you probably lack a a deep revelation of how good it is. And again, I know, right? You hear all this and you think... Well, he's preaching that sloppy, slippery, greasy, nasty grace that's just going to make people want to go out and sin, just going to make people want to go and look at porn or whatever. Um, I get it. It's a scandal. It doesn't make any sense. It's upside down. It's totally upside down to the way we think as humans. You know, because we want grace. We want it to be extended to us, right? But we don't want to show grace to others. It's not part of our human nature. It's not part of our heart to to really ultimately show mercy. Because we're fallen, we're wretched, we're thieves, we're liars, we're blasphemers, we're selfish, self-centered, self-seeking. Another great verse that comes to mind that sort of sums it up is in the beginning of John's Gospel. So John 1, 17, For the law was given through Moses... But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So, take your Ten Commandments, which I, again, like I, like I believe when you witness to the lost, use the Ten Commandments. Because that law will show really quick, quickly that, you know what, you're lost. You, you've broken this stuff. Like, and if you're guilty before God for breaking his holy law that he gave through Moses, do you deserve heaven or hell? An honest person would realize they deserve hell. And in that, that's when you get to say, you get to show them that, like, guess what? Jesus Christ died for your sins, for breaking the law of Moses. That through him, you'll find grace. Like, unmerited favor from God that you can't earn and you can't lose. And once you have it, It's yours forever, and with that grace comes an imputed righteousness of Christ that you're now actually holy in the eyes of God. Now, again, I think there is a sort of, I don't know, So some people want to call it progressive sanctification, but again, I don't think that the the progressive part of it is that in your relationship to to God. I think in your relationship with God, like you're as 
holy and sanctified as you will ever be because of grace and because of Christ. Now down here on planet Earth, the battle is for you to to realize that and let that mold and shape you in this life to making that your earthly reality, not by doing works, but by literally surrendering and just staying in that place of totally free of the works of the law, totally abandoned unto grace, which if you are, from that will be works of righteousness. I mean, it's really so simple. So where, but does it mean you'll never sin again? No, I think you will. And that's the problem I have with all the progressive sanctification folks. God love them. A lot of Wesleyan, you know, folks are in that thinking. And there's people out there that will tell you that they've never, you know, since they were saved, they've never, they haven't sinned. And I'm just like, I think you're sinning right now, just saying that. <laughs> because I think you're lying. <laughs> you know. Um, but they'll say that. You know, they'll say, like, you know, some of them believing in a second work of grace, which I don't know. I mean, it sounds great. I think times of refreshing come, right? So it's not totally like I don't rule out like second and third and fourth works of grace. I think that being baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues is kind of like a second work of grace. Now, the Wesleyans don't really think that. They think that that was like a point of further sanctification. Anyway, I'm not trying to get into all the theology of it because it really gets complicated and sometimes I think steals from the purity of, of it all. But I think as a Christian, I mean, you should try to stay how you felt when you first got saved. Like, if you could just go back to that point when you were, like, undone, just totally undone. And if you've been born again, you know what I'm talking about. If, you did, if you've never experienced that, you may not be born again. That might be part of your problem. Like, there should be a point where, you're, where you came out of darkness. Well, not even that. Where you were darkness, and then you became light, to, to use the words of Paul. Like, there should be a light switch. It could be. It could have been a. It could have been a month long throwing of the switch. You know who knows. I'm not. It, it's not the same for everyone. But there should have been the switch. There should have been the dark to light. Like if you don't have that, you if you may not be born again, you may not be right with God. I would seek God for it for the first working of grace, if I have to call it that. And I think from that that initial change of heart. That's the place you want to live in. That's the place you want to stay as a Christian. Because as soon as you get around really religious people that are like, obedience, 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 which, again, like, I'm not telling you to be disobedient to God. I'm just saying it's probably a lot easier than Christians make it seem. Like, you just have to hang out in the place of grace, and you'll be obedient. Like, you'll honor God. You'll follow the Holy Spirit. You'll listen to His voice. You'll heed His direction. And when you miss it, you don't worry about it because you know you've already, you're already in grace. You've already got something you can't lose. And you're like, I'm with you, Lord. Okay, I messed up. I said something stupid. I did something stupid. You know, but 
I know that it doesn't, I don't lose anything with you. Let's just keep going. Let's start right where we, where I messed up. I drop the ball. I pick up the ball. I keep going. It's that simple, you know, but Christianity and, you know, holiness and obedience pulpit pounders, which I've been, I've, I've been that, I get it. Like those voices want to tell you that you have to spend some, some downtime. You have to really like pound your chest and, and cry enough. And you'll know when you've felt bad enough, long enough for your sin. And then you can start to slowly sort of regain some momentum and get back in the race. And that's just, that's just not biblical. Like, why? Why, why do you, why do we need to do that? Is that for God's sake or for ours? Because if, if really, truly, truth and grace has come to us through Christ, if really and truly, you know, it was by grace that that we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. Like if, it, if it's really been something that's been given to us sort of outside of who us, like then it stays with us outside of us and what we do. We just have to, by faith, remember that and stay in that place. And honestly, I think through that, you'll begin to see less and less and less of the hang-ups and the mistakes and the, you know, I slipped or I relapsed or whatever, blah, blah, blah. You'll see less of that. And in fact, it'll start to become like not such an earth-shattering moment when you do that you can just sort of be like, I screwed up, you know. A great scripture, I think, that we all need to remember it's something that John says in 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, what does it mean to confess a sin? It's really, <laughs> I know this is too simple, but it's just like, that was a sin. <laughs> really? I mean, what, what more do you have to do? Do you really have to, like, take whips and beat yourself into submission? Do you really have to, like, weep and cry about it? Do you, I mean, I mean, sometimes, I'll admit, there's there's times that I've sinned. I know you're probably surprised to hear that. Um, and there's times that, like, my confession of that, that it was a sin, it was tear-filled. And other times it's not. Like, there's times I'm like, that was a sin. What is confessing your sins? What it's not is telling God you're never going to do it again. It's not that. That's not confessing your sin. That's making a vow by heaven and earth to God that you're going to break. <laughs> you know? It's kind of like when I think about you know, when I quit smoking cigarettes, which I did a few times, but the last time stuck. I didn't promise God that I would never smoke again. All I said was like, Lord, I want to, I'm going to give this to you. I don't want that habit to be associated with my identity as a Christian. Now I'm not even saying smoking's a sin. I mean, we could make an argument for it. Sure. But it's not in the Bible that it's a sin. It's not in the 10 commandments. So, you know, it might, you know, what is it? You know, it, 
won't send you to hell, but you'll smell like you've been there. <laughs> so, you know, I get it, right? I, I smoked for years, from the time I was like 14 till I was 27, every day. When I quit, I was smoking like three packs a day. Big, big smoker. But, you know, I was a Christian for, you know, from the time I was 25 till I was like 27. Uh, so for those two years, like, was I not born again? <laughs> you know, of course I was. But I was smoking every day and smoking a lot of cigarettes. So it was all grace. But I gave it up. I didn't conf- I didn't say, you know, God, I don't, I'll never do this again. Well, in the same way, when we confess our sins, like, don't be so foolish as to tell God, I'm never going to do this again. Your heart may be that you don't ever want to do it again, and you especially don't ever want to do it again, like right after you sin, when the, the pleasure of sin for that season ends, and then the pleasure's gone, and then the, the consequence, the, the, the guilt and the shame, when that stuff sets in, right, you want to say, I'm never going to do this again. But the, the easy out, the, like the, the true reality of your, of your Christianity, the grace that's for you, in that moment, all you have to do is say, that was a sin. And turn from that directly to God and say, thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that it's covered. Thank you, Lord, that you have already forgiven me for that sin, that you don't love me any less for that sin, that you still like me even be- even though I did that sin. And Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. Let's go forward. Let's. It's nothing. To- There's not even anything to talk about anymore because it's covered by the grace of God already. But I get it. That's, that's scandalous. People don't want to hear that, right? Because... It shouldn't be that easy, is what people think. Well, I'm going to tell you now, it's a lot easier than you think. And there's not a single work of righteousness, a single good work. You can't help enough old ladies across the street to maintain your grace. You didn't lose your grace when you didn't help one of them across the street. And you were like, I don't want to help that old lady. God didn't turn his back on you and say, well, who are you? I don't know you. No, the grace of God, it's external. It's, it's supernatural. It is miraculous. It's a substance that is purely divine. You can't conjure it up in your carnality, and you can't keep it by stifling your carnality. The grace of God is all we have as Christians. So I'm going to end it there, and I really hope that you're living free 100% in grace, that, you know, and again, I'm going to, I'm going to preach, and I'm going to teach on that which I need the most. This is a real struggle, and I think oftentimes for people in positions of authority, pastors, preachers, teachers, evangelists, we think there's a different standard for them than for everyone else. But here's the truth. It, I mean, it's the same grace, right? It's the same grace for everyone. Now, again, I'm not going to deny, like, when you look in uh, Paul's letters to the churches and things that he says, like, well, like, if you're a deacon or a pastor or a leader, like, you shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't have more than one wife and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, there's... 
evidence, but that evidence, it comes from grace. It's not just, it doesn't earn you your grace. Like grace will produce works. Grace will project a godly lifestyle and image for you. But striving to live a godly lifestyle, striving to maintain a godly image will never produce grace. It will produce death. It will produce shame and condemnation and fear and anxiety. You'll always be living, looking over your shoulder. You'll never be walking in freedom. And God wants us free. We're, we're not as productive or useful in the kingdom of God when we're living in bondage. And so I'm going to cut it off right there. Live in freedom and grace. Do not bind yourself up in works and strife and fear. Um, God's grace, you know what? I'm just going to admit it. It is sloppy. It is greasy. If you're looking for a super refined grace that's only available for super refined people, you better find a different religion because that's not how Christianity works. Read your Bible. Look at the lives of those people that God called and used. They're almost as screwed up as you are. So, you need grace. I need grace. It's all we have. And we only have it by faith. That's it. So thanks for listening. Be blessed.